Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. We're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 14 here this morning. And uh, for those of you just uh, joining with us, so glad that you're here. We've been working our way through uh, some teaching on the uh, spiritual gifts, and uh, we've really been spending a lot of time here um, out of uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 over the past couple months, and we're just going to wrap up uh, 1 Corinthians 14 here this morning, and uh, this will be... Uh, we'll look at one last passage concerning spiritual gifts, and that'll be out of Romans 12 before we finish up. Just kind of give you a breakdown of what we're planning on doing. Uh, so as soon as we finish up spiritual gifts here, uh, which should be by the end of September, uh, for the month of October, of course, we have our weekend of prayer uh, coming up, and uh, each four of us elders are going to spend one week for the month of October teaching through on prayer. Uh, so I think that would be really helpful and, and uh, good for that. So just give you an idea of what's, uh, what's coming. Lord Willings, we uh, work uh, through some of these uh, other things here. So as we've been working through here this uh, passage, uh, these chapters out of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, we've already seen what the problem was uh, you know, going on in this church. There was division and disunity. Uh, a lot of it stemmed from the fact of the misuse of spiritual gifts. Uh, these guys, they prided themselves on two main gifts, which was uh, tongues and prophecy, because that's what uh, Paul really spends a lot of time uh, dealing with, trying to teach them how they're supposed to be used. Uh, chapter 13, that's the great love chapter. Uh, the purpose of that is he's telling them the reason why there's division and disunity is because of their lack of love. They were not using the spiritual gifts, to edify the believers in love. And really, that's the whole purpose of spiritual gifts, is to edify the church. God has gifted us, those that know Christ as our Savior. God has gifted you with a spiritual gift to help edify and mature the church. And it's supposed to be used uh, in love. And then as we've been looking here out of uh, 1 Corinthians 14, uh, we saw Paul start to lay down some principles for worship, how the gifts are supposed to be used in the worship service. Uh, we've uh, dealt quite extensively already with uh, tongues and how the tongues are supposed to be used and how they were not being used uh, in, in the correct way. And um, again, the, the overarching principle is edification. Is the use of the gifts edifying to the church? And uh, so... We've concluded already so far out of 1 Corinthians 14 that Paul says that prophecy is better than tongues because with prophecy, you can understand what's being said. So without an interpreter, uh, tongues are not supposed to be used within the church. And so for those of you that might have the spiritual gift of tongues, uh, he says very clearly that if there's no interpreter, you just need to pray uh, to you and to God, you know, praying silently, uh, remaining silent there in the church. Uh, so the interpreter is key in order for a spiritual gift like tongues to be used within the church service. That's why he says prophecy is greater because we can all understand it. 
And so today as we work through, we're going to look at verses 26 through 40. As we work through this passage here, we're going to cover prophecy a little bit more. Going to kind of dig into that a little bit. Uh, We're also going to address a very controversial subject on women. So ladies, put your seatbelts on, okay? I don't want you falling out of your chair, okay? Um, But we're we're going to address this controversial subject about women in the worship service, what they are allowed to do and not to do, okay? As according to what scripture. Remember, I didn't write this stuff, okay? God wrote it, okay? Don't attack the messenger, okay? But I, I will say that a lot of the stuff that has been taught on these types of things has been not done scripturally, okay? And so I want to seek to uh, address those things scripturally in the right way. And uh, then we're going to seek to answer basically how Paul's going to sum up here uh, about how a worship service is to be conducted. What is the church service supposed to look like? And so those are the things that we're going to look at uh, here uh, this morning. So here's what I'd like for you to take away with you today. Learn how to edify the church through your spiritual gifts during public worship. Learn how to edify the church through your spiritual gifts during public worship. So let's take note of our text here uh, this morning. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So the first thing we want you to notice here is, number one, seek to strengthen the body by using your spiritual gifts in public worship. Now, as we've seen in this passage out of 1 Corinthians 14, Paul addresses two specific spiritual gifts, tongues and prophecy. We already saw that prophecy was better than tongues, is what he said in verse number five. Paul wanted to stress the fact that the edification, the building up of the body is what's important. And if you can't understand what somebody is saying, you're not going to be edified, you're not going to be built up, 
okay? That's why there has to be an interpreter there. And so there's a definite emphasis that prophesying yields a greater potential to edify the body than tongues. He tells him in verse number five, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Also in verse 31, he says, for you all can prophesy. And in verse, uh, and so when we see that, why does he say these things? Well, because take a look at verse number three here, because this is really important. He says, verse number three, uh, chapter 14, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people. For what, Paul? Notice what he says. For their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. And so we see that prophecy is connected with building up encouragement and comfort. That's the purpose of prophecy. Prophecy is for our maturity. And so he connects this prophesying with building up encouragement and comfort. Do you see that? Here's something interesting about prophecy. Sometimes we think prophecy is about predicting the future. Now, I will say Old Testament, right? Like you do see that, right? You see about them foretelling, right, of what God is going to do. We see that, right? But this is not always the case. Paul says here prophecy is connected to what? Building up encouragement and comfort. So prophecy is not this like weird like, oh, you know, I got something, ooh, you know. No, it's for our building up, for comfort and encouragement. Verse number four, we also see that prophecy is to be used in the gathered assembly for the building up of the body of Christ. Because notice what Paul says here. Paul desires that all will prophesy. He's arguing in a group context here. He's saying, I want you, when you guys all come together, he says, I want you all to be able to prophesy. Why? Because there's going to be a building up of the body. There's going to be encouragement. There's going to be comfort that's going to come from that. And so we could easily conclude that in a public worship gathering, the Spirit could manifest Himself through the spiritual gift of prophecy to build up the church. And so Paul seems to indicate that he wants them all to do this. But the one thing we don't find is the frequency of this, meaning he doesn't tell us that this is supposed to happen every time when the church gathers. And so I think this is where we got to be careful about this kind of stuff, right? Just because, God, just because Paul says, hey, look, I want you all to be able to prophesy, he doesn't say every single time you come to meet that you all need to prophesy, okay? And we'll see this a little bit later about the frequency of uh, the time. But he doesn't say anywhere in this passage that it's supposed to happen every single time. Remember, the spiritual gifts, right? They're a manifestation of the Spirit. It's not when we want to do it. He clearly talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's not when we want to do it. It's when He decides to do it, okay? We're just the vessels, right? Okay? And that's how God works in all of these things. Now, notice what he says here about prophecy. Let me read here again verse number 5. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues but even more to prophesy, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. And so prophecy, I believe, 
is connected with instruction. Because notice what he says. He wants all to prophesy. Now, this is key here. In that, does he say only men are to prophesy? No, there's no, there's no gender limit here on this, right? He says, I want you all. That includes men and women. So clearly, he says, in the collective gathering, he says, I want all of you, both men and women, to be able to prophesy. And so women can prophesy and should prophesy, as he has stated earlier in chapter 11, that women can pray in public and they can prophesy in public. So if women and men can and should prophesy in the public church meeting, what is the purpose of it? Well, look at verse number 19. Because I believe this is what Paul has on his mind. Because remember, he's talking about as the church gathers, there's those that are speaking in tongues, there's those that are prophesying. And he's saying, look, I want you to be able to understand what is being said. He says, I would rather speak five words, right? So that you can understand that in 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. So he wants you to be able to understand. So the key here is that he wants instruction to be happening within the church body so that the church can be built up. So there needs to be instruction going on. Listen to what verse number 19 says. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And so he has instruction on his mind because it is through instruction that believers mature and are edified. This is how we're built up. This is how we're encouraged. This is how the comfort comes within the church body. And so prophecy, I believe, is connected with instruction as what we've seen women are also included in that prophesying. So the big question, if women prophesy, is that teaching a man? We must ask this question, right? Because I, I think this is, this is real important to try to figure out. What is Paul saying here? He says, I want all the women to be able to prophesy. He says they can pray, they can prophesy. It's all part in a collective group setting. So is prophesying the same as teaching a man? Now, we're going to look at this a little bit more later on, but are women allowed to instruct? Is instructing teaching? Would women be going against Scripture stated in 1 Timothy 2.12? I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Is Paul contradicting himself here? Is he saying, hey, women can prophesy, but oh, wait, 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 wait. Now women can't prophesy. They can't say anything in church. They're supposed to be quiet. Is he contradicting himself? We got, to, we got to understand what Paul is talking about and what he is saying. This is why it's important that you always compare Scripture with Scripture, that you do a little digging, you find out what certain words mean, so that way you can get a good understanding of what the Bible is teaching. So is Paul contradicting himself? Well, let me give you a few things here. The difference between prophecy and teaching, okay? So let me try to clear this up. There is a difference between prophecy and teaching, First of all, prophecy is not preaching or teaching. It's a different word and has a different meaning. It's not the same. 
Not only is it a different word, but it, it means something entirely different. It's a completely different word that is used in the text. One for prophecy and one for preaching. Secondly, the New Testament prophecy was based upon spontaneous prompting from the Holy Spirit. We see this in Acts eleven twenty eight. Acts 21.4, Acts 21.10-11. through 11. We also see this represented in Luke 7.39, Luke 22.63-64, John 4.19, and also John 11.51. And so it's the spontaneous promptings of, uh, from the Holy Spirit. Next, nowhere in the New Testament is human speech that is called teaching is ever said to be based on a revelation. Rather, teaching is often simply an explanation or application of Scripture. Acts 15.35, Acts 11.22, and also Acts 11.26, Romans 2.21, Romans 15.4, Colossians 3.16, and Hebrews 5.12. Or it's also a repetition and explanation of the apostles' teachings. What are we doing here? We're giving an, ep- an application, we're doing this reflection on what the apostles, what Paul has said. We're doing teaching. This is what this is, okay? We see this clearly in Romans 16, 17, and also 2 Timothy 2, 2, and 2 Timothy uh, 3, 10. And so it is what we would call Bible teaching or preaching. Also, prophecy has less authority than teaching. And prophecies in the church are always to be subject to authoritative teaching of Scripture. Meaning you can't just say whatever you want to say and not be held accountable to that by Scripture. It has to to be held accountable to Scripture. Is this what you are saying scripturally based? Does it line up with Scripture? Okay, God told me to tell you to divorce your husband. It doesn't work that way. Okay? And by the way, I have heard stories of that. So it has to be subject to the authority of Scripture. This is why Scripture should be paramount in the church meeting. Everything we do, say, and obey should be rooted in Scripture. I get very weary when people complain, you know, too much Scripture. Oh, there's just too much scripture. Oh, oh, oh. Let me ask you a question. Can you ever have too much scripture? No. Did you ever notice the way that Jesus ever taught? What did he say? Have you not read? Have you not heard? What is he doing? He's referring back to scripture saying, this is what the scripture says, right? He was very scripturally based. Psalm 119 has 176 verses in it. And each one has to do with Scripture. Scripture is very important. And it should be very important in the life of the church. We also find in 2 Thessalonians 2.15 that the Thessalonians were told not to hold firm to the traditions that were prophesied to them, but to the traditions that were taught by Paul. And so it was teachers, not prophets, who gave leadership and direction to the early churches. We also see here that the elders are to be able to teach. The elders are supposed to be laboring and teaching and in preaching 
1 Timothy 5.17, and who are to be apt to teach 1 Timothy 3.2 and Titus 1.9. It never says anything about any elders whose work is to be prophesying. Paul told Timothy to take heed to himself and his teaching, not his prophesying, but he was never told to take heed to those, uh, those spiritual gifts such as prophesying. James warned that those who teach, not those who prophesy, will be judged with greater strictness, as what James 3, 1 says. Oh yes, you will be held accountable with every word that comes out of your mouth. But did you know that God will hold those who teach the word with greater strictness than those who prophesy? So there is a difference between teaching and prophesying. And Paul says, hey, I want you all to be able to prophesy. But there is a difference between teaching and prophesying. So how can we know the difference between the two? Well, here's a few things. Number one, if a message is a result of reflecting on the text of Scripture, containing interpretation and application to life, then it is teaching or preaching. If a message is the report of something that God brings suddenly to mind, then it is prophecy. That's the difference. And that's it. I write out my complete message. Everything that I'm going to say, I write it all out. Manuscript form. I used to not be able to do that, and I, I think that that was actually very unwise because sometimes it's kind of like, I'm just going to shoot from the hip, you know? And... <laughs> I don't think that that's wise to do that. Um, so I, I write out everything that I'm going to say, but sometimes as I'm teaching, the Spirit of God will bring something to my mind that I say, and it's nothing that I put down in my manuscript. And I believe that that is a form of prophecy. That is a form of preaching mixed with prophecy. And so God sometimes does that. And I think that spirit-filled preaching will sometimes include prophecy, but not always, okay? So prophecy can edify the church. And when used correctly, and women can take part in that as well. And as a church, we should desire to prophesy. I think that that's something we should, because I mean, I think that even Paul says, desire this, right? Desire these things. And uh, it really helps the church mature. So seek to strengthen the body by using your spiritual gifts in public worship and prophecy, I believe, does that. So look at the second thing here. Share the time with your spiritual gifts in public worship. Share the time. And I believe this is what was happening here in this church at Corinth is there was no sharing going on. You know, sometimes we ask the question, what should a church gathering look like? I mean, how do we do church, right? I mean, here in this area, there's, there's the, the, the churches run the gamut. I mean, you can get anything you want. It's like a buffet, right? Um, if, you want the, if you want this style of worship or if you want this style of, of this or you want this, I mean, you can get whatever you want, right? It's out there. But how is the church meeting supposed to be conducted? How is it supposed to be uh, done? Is it only to be run by the professionals while everybody else just sits and watch and soaks it up? No. According to 1 Corinthians here, that's not the case. I believe everyone needs to participate in the church gathering. Everyone. Why? Because God has given us spiritual gifts to help 
edify the church, to mature the church uh, in all of that. And this is why I think there's a richness, I believe, in a smaller church setting. Because in a smaller church setting, you can, we know each other and we can, we can speak and we can, we can say things, right? Um, as where in a larger church setting, you can't really do so much of that because there's sometimes time limits and so forth and so on, right? Um, so there's, there's a richness. And remember, a lot of the churches that Paul was writing to, these were house churches. They were small churches that he planted. I mean, he spent 18 months laboring in the city of Corinth to plant this church. Spent a year and a half with these people. Now he writes to them and is like, hey, what's going on here? Right? Verses 26 and 33, Paul gives us some guidelines for participating in the church service. Now notice here, the first words of verse 26 starts with this practical application of everything he's been building on in verses 1 through 25. He says, okay, here's all this stuff. Now let's start to apply this practically in a church setting, okay? Because notice the question, what does he say? What then, brothers? Hey, what are we going to do now? How are we going to do this? What then, brothers? As believers, every Christian should come to the church meeting prepared to edify each other. So let me ask you a question. This past week, what have you been doing in preparation to edify your brother or sister in this church gathering? What have you been doing? Have you been spending time praying for your brothers and sisters? Have you been asking God, God, help me to edify somebody this week when I see them? What have you been doing? If we're honest, if we are honest, probably not much. Probably we haven't spent any time at all thinking about preparation for Sunday. What are we going to do? How are we going to prepare? If you're just seeking, if you're just seeking and thinking, hey, well, listen, you know, Mike, we pay you to help edify us. Now, it's true. Yes, I spend a majority of the time in the teaching and the preaching, okay? But, you know, I don't get paid $29.95 for a Sunday morning service. If it's a wedding, I get paid 50 bucks, right? No. How are you participating in the edifying of the saints? Is that a question that's even on your heart and your mind? See, now this isn't even in my message. See, this is prophetic, right? Okay. <laughs> so how, how, are we, how are we spending our time? What are we doing? And I think many times it's just, it's all focused on us. We don't really think about the others in the church service, how we're going to help edify one another. So I believe when we come to the church, we should be prepared to edify each other. This does not mean that you will always have an opportunity or that it will always be the right time. There might be something that will edify, but is it the right time? And I think that that's very important. Notice how everyone should be participating in the church meeting. Verse 26, the expression, each one has. It's repeated five times. Each one has, each one has, each one has. So he, he's, he's really important here that each person coming together in the church meeting 
has something to help edify the church. Everyone participated, which I think is really great. Now, a few things I want you to remember about this participation in the church meeting, okay? Number one, remember there are no gender rules mentioned here. Everybody has a spiritual gift. Everybody can participate in the church service, okay? Secondly, remember also that the things Paul mentions here are not the only ways that the church can be edified, okay? Now, again, we got to be looking at the context. What is he talking about here? Specifically, he's talking about tongues and he's talking about prophecy. Are there other ways that the church can be edified? Yes. Are there other ways that the church can be edified that are not mentioned here in 1 Corinthians 14? Yes. This is why you got to take the Bible as a whole. You got to look at it collectively. What does each scripture teach on this? And that's how you form doctrine. That's how you get these teachings of what the Bible teaches on all of this. Okay? You don't just get one scripture and say, oh, there it is. Okay? You get it as a whole, as a collective, and you get it put together. Thirdly, remember that spiritual gifts can be put into two categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. So just because you may not speak in the church meeting doesn't mean that you can't edify the church through your serving gift. How else can, the, can somebody in the church be edified without your speaking? Think about it. If you were serving somebody. Can somebody be edified through a service that you do? Yeah, certainly can. So these are just not the only ways. Just the speaking is not just the only way that the church can be edified. It can also be edified through a serving gift there. So if participation was not the problem, then what was the problem in this church? Because they all came to participate. What was the problem? The problem was that they all came ready to speak and were determined to do so. I'm going to say this. The Holy Spirit has just come over me and I have to say it. Right? No. That's the problem. There was no exercise of love there. Okay? Or you might have had somebody who got up and said, all right, I have a prophecy and they were very determined to give their prophecy, and they just kept going on and on and on and on and on. Well, okay, all right, uh, one more thing, one more thing, I got to say it, I got to say it, I got to say it. Okay? There was no sharing. There was no participation there with anybody else. You may have somebody who was going to dominate the entire time. And so the large problem was not what was being said and how it was being done was not edifying. Both the quality and quantity of participation needed to be regulated. So this is what Paul does. He gives them this principle of edification to serve as the standard for all that was to be spoken publicly in the meeting of the church. Now notice the way Paul uses five ways that people can participate. He says a hymn. Now your translation may read a psalm, okay? Psalm or hymn. Basically, which a psalm is a hymn of praise. That's what it basically is. A teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these, this is interesting now, all of these, except for him, are spiritual gifts. Now, I just have some thoughts about this that I kind of find interesting. Could it be that one that does have a psalm or a hymn, not and not saying that a person couldn't get up and, you know, sing a song out of a songbook, right? Because we have people up here that lead us in singing, right? 
But could it be a person that has a psalm or a hymn that that could itself be a spiritual gift? That they have been reflecting in the past week on the goodness and the greatness of God and they have been gifted or talented in such a way, however you want to put it, that they can put that into words and to sing it or to teach it to the entire congregation? I think that that could be a very valid possibility. So I think that's kind of interesting with that. So let's look specifically how those who are speaking specifically, because he's going to give some principles here, how they're supposed to share, okay, the spiritual gift. Those that are speaking specifically in tongues and in prophecy were to be sharing in the worship gathering. We find this in verses 27 and verse 28. He gives two principles for tongues. Then prophecy, he gives us four principles, uh, verses 29 through 33. So verse 27, notice what he says here. Let there be only two at the most three, speaking of tongues, and each in turn let someone interpret. Two or at most three could speak in tongues. Those speaking in tongues must do so in order. And it would appear that until now they had all spoken simultaneously. Because that's why he has to correct that and say only two or three and each in order. So how could anyone interpret when three spoke at once? You can't. That's why he says, let one interpret or only one interpreter, right? Not two or three. So the church meeting was to not be overrun by everyone speaking in tongues. Only two at the most three, but each one was to take their turn is what Paul says here. But never more than three were to speak in a tongue. I kind of gather that probably in the meeting it was kind of the same thing that is done today in some charismatic churches where one speaks in a a tongue and then the other kind of gets all excited about it. And then they're going to show that person that they're more spiritual than the other. And so then they really start, you know, and the, the, the pitch of the, the, the sound gets higher and higher and higher, you know. And before you know it, everybody's speaking in tongues all at the same time, you know, kind of a, like a frenzied, you know, chaotic uh, type thing, right? That's not the way it's supposed to be done, okay? Paul says only let two at the most three each in turn. So you say something, all right. Where's the interpreter? Okay, great. We got an interpreter. What did you say? Okay. Hey, I got to talk. Okay, there we go. There's one. Then the, oh, okay. So each in turn and uh, two or three, not all at once. Let one interpret. Verse 29, Paul is going to now give us some instructions to those who prophesy. Notice what he says here. Let there be only two at the most three prophets speak. Notice. Let the others weigh what is said. Now, I think this is very important here, okay? Let the others weigh what is said. Who is the others that are to weigh what is said? Who is that? Is it the elders? That's right. Okay. Anybody who hears it. And what are they supposed to be doing? They're supposed to be judging it according to Scripture. You take part in that. So it's very important for that. 
And we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. But men, I believe you need to be spiritual men. Men that can judge. Men that can be firm on Scripture. You need that. We need to have men that can do that. Where are the men? Where are the men that are spiritual men? Where are they? You need to be spiritual men. The important thing to notice is that the congregation was to be active, not passive, by mentally interacting with what was said. And if it was necessary to judge what was said by a prophet, how much more should we judge what is taught in our churches today? See, I think we've gotten into this whole thing of like, oh, well, you can't say anything because that's mean. We've got to judge. We have to judge what is said. We've got to weigh it out according to Scripture. Is what they're saying, is it scripturally based? And if you practice this, I guarantee you it'll keep you from falling into a lot of weird nonsense out there, okay? You've got to judge it. This is why you need to be scripturally grounded and be able to judge what is said. The judging is so important because look at verse number 33. Notice what he says here. He says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. A failure to observe these simple guidelines would result and obviously resulted in utter pandemonium in the Corinthians church meetings prior to Paul's epistle. Confusion and disorder are not part of God's character. It's not the way that he works. And so if we are supposed to be reflecting God's nature and his character in the church meeting... If there's confusion and disorder going about, it's not from God. It's something else, completely, entirely different. And so we've got to share that time. There's got to be a weighing of that. And so the men of the church are to judge what is being said and taught because a failure to observe these principles will result in disorder and chaos in the church. Let's look at the last thing here real quickly. Number three, learn when to be silent and when to speak in public worship. Now, I think this principle is very valuable in the church meeting because clearly Paul teaches here that there are those who speak in tongues could control it because he says, let them keep silent if there's no interpreter, right? They can control it. No doubt some must have been given the impression that they could not help but speak and they were overcome by the Holy Spirit and could do nothing but speak. This is not the case with any gift. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are always under our control. It's self-control. That's one of the marks, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, right? Self-control. So you can control it, right? So our gifts do not control us, nor do they compel us to violate the scriptural guidelines that Paul lays down here for their public use in the church meeting. And so self-control and silence were not required only of those who spoke in tongues. Even prophecy, the gift so highly valued by Paul, says, I want you all to be able to speak into it. Even he gives a regulation for that and says there needs to be a time when you sit down and are quiet and allow another to speak. So there needs to be silence there as well. Take a look here again at verse number 30. Notice what he says here. He says, if a revelation, okay, here's the prophecy, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. 
And so Paul teaches that if a person is giving a prophecy and then suddenly another sitting there has a prophecy, the one initially giving the prophecy must allow the other person to speak. Why would God give two prophets a revelation simultaneously? And why should the one speaking be uh, interrupted? Well, from what verse 26, it appears that most came to the church meeting prepared to participate including the one with the revelation. And it was not necessary for a person then to receive a revelation in the church meeting. Remember, we're preparing for the church meeting, right? So here's a person, maybe they're spending time in prayer, they're spending time in the word, and God brings something them to their mind. I'd like you to share this, to help edify, to encourage, to comfort the church on Sunday. So that person's prepared to do so. They share something, right? But then all of a sudden, another person in the church meeting has a revelation. What is supposed to happen? The one that had that initial prophecy is supposed to be silent now and allow the other to speak. That's the way God instructs us to do these types of things, okay? And so the person who is standing and speaking to the church might be the one who has been given a revelation in the past, But the second person who receives a revelation now may have received a message which is directly related to what has just been said or done in the meeting. And so that prophecy actually outweighs the other because it has more urgency. And so Paul says that other person needs to be quiet now and sit down. So I believe we would be mistaken to assume that the only purpose of prophecy is to enable a person to speak in the church meeting. This gift, like the others, might have greater importance and value outside their weekly gathering, right? Like, I believe God can use it outside of the church meeting as well. Um, And so, in this way, the fact that there were also prophetess poses no problem for possessing the gift of prophecy in no way presumes that the revelation received must be shared in the church gathering. Perhaps some prophets had really lost sight of this, I believe. So here are three principles for those who prophesied. Notice what they are. Number one, at the right time. Know when it's the right time to share something. You don't always have to say something. This is all the whole thing about edification, right? Sometimes I think we, we like to say things and it's the wrong time to say them. Maybe somebody's not ready to hear it, okay? Know the right time when to say it. Secondly, The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Some prophets may have supposed that since they had received a revelation, they had no choice but to share it. After all, when God speaks, men must hear, but the gifts of the Spirit do not overpower us, compelling us to speak whether we wish to or not. You are subject to the prophets. Thirdly, allow the prophecy to reflect the nature and character of God. Verse 33 right? For God is not a God of confusion, but a promise. A big thing that I've seen in churches today is this whole thing of fortune cookie prophecy using loaded words and phrases, such as the fountains are opening and I see gushing water about to sweep over your field for the next three months. How about the time of rest is over and now it's a time of action. The seeds have been sown, but now it's time for growth. There's going to be an increase of rate in your life because God is going to begin to accelerate things that you won't even know what is going to happen. What? That's confusing. 
God, when God speaks, he is very clear and he is direct. He's never vague, right? Okay, it's very clear. So don't try to force or fake this kind of stuff, okay? God's very clear on these types of things, right? I want to wrap this up, but I know we're past time. And there's an awesome, awesome thing here about women keeping silent in the churches. And I know you're just, you're just wanting to hear that, right? But I don't have time. I need to be quiet sit down, okay? <laughs> so we'll pick this up again, okay? Let's pray. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.